This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Morning, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles On The Beat program. And obviously, some really big news for the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, a huge recruit that we knew Georgia was going to get. It was just a matter of time and kind of a false alarm earlier. I think we all thought he might commit a little earlier in the process. No complaints from Kirby Smart, however. Dylan Riola, the number one recruit in the nation in the 2024 class, now a member of the Georgia Bulldogs with his verbal commitment. And to help me discuss this tonight, we bring on Centel's Intel, Jeff Centel. And Jeff, you are off the watch you don't have to have your computer with you 24-7. Tell me your thoughts, reactions to Dylan making that commitment today. Did you know it was coming? Uh, well, Mike, I can't tell a lie when I come on your show, but I've been doing this for a few months now, and uh, a few months now in Dog Nation, I guess. Um, and one thing you can do is you can just kind of tell. You can kind of tell, like, you don't come out and say, hey, are you committed to Georgia when you committed to Georgia? You just watch the way they go about their business. And no, I don't need to publicize that. I think almost every commitment Georgia has gotten over the last four or five months has included a, a follow-up call or text or some sort of shout out from Dylan Riola. And that was, that was on the low, on the low, low, on the key, but he'd been acting like he was a committed member of this class for some time. Um, it is amazing the sort of feedback you get from recruits um, when a guy like this commits. And I think it's totally different. Um, people can say, oh, Georgia's done this before, and they can say, maybe Georgia didn't stick the landing with Justin Fields. Well, here's where it's different. Justin Fields brought in a lot of players around him, some linemen, some running backs, some defensive linemen, some linebackers. Didn't bring a lot of receivers in. Didn't bring a lot of weapons. Didn't bring the five-star tight ends in. And that's what I expect Dylan Raiola to do. I think everybody's going to look at what Georgia's done on the defensive side of the ball and in an NFL development and in the win column and in the championships column. And they're going to feel good about that. But now they're going to feel great about the fact that if they're a wide receiver, they know they're going to throw the rock all over the field with a guy like Dylan Raiola. Yeah. Pretty exciting commitment for George. I know a lot of Georgia fans, obviously all familiar with Jeff Santel. He is the DogNation.com recruiting expert. And Jeff has been hot on the trail. You know, he has his Wednesday night show. I'm sure we'll hear more about Dylan on Wednesday night, but Jeff, give us a sneak peek. I mean, when we talk about quarterback skills, they're all a little bit different than one another. Tell us what Dylan Raiola brings to the table as a quarterback. Well, I think the first thing you got to mention is just access to NFL knowledge. First of all, his father, I know you're a big fan of the Detroit Lions, or at least you're from that area, and you know about the Lions, the woes and lows of the Lions. Well, Dylan, I think, started 204 of his 220 games in the NFL as a center, as a anchor uh, offensive line fixture for the Lions. One team, 14-year NFL career. He was an All-American at Nebraska. And he has access to quarterbacks going back to when his dad would bring him into the locker room. Some of those quarterbacks are Dan Orvlosky, uh, John Kitna, and the one everybody knows by now is Uncle Matthew, uh, his godfather, Matthew Stafford. And those are the guys that have always, you know, basically planted seeds of knowledge within Dylan in terms of, you know, hey, this is what you can do. This is what you have the ability to do. It's funny now, we've got to, for the record, Mike, we've got to tell folks that he gets that big arm where he can really access about anywhere on the field from about 75 yards and in. He can, he can get that, he can push that ball in all those spots on the field 
and throw it into contested tight zones and tight windows because his mom was a water polo, polo player and a really good water polo player at that. She was an NCAA athlete. Now think about that. You're treading water. You got to hurl that sucker up the pool and up through the chlorine. And that's where the family attributes Dylan's big arm is howitzer type arm from. And, you know, one misconception, Brandon, I mean, excuse me, Mike, that everybody gives me is they're like, they're a little worried because they worry about the transfer culture and they worry, okay, hey, Dylan has spent his freshman and sophomore year at one school in Texas, and he spends his junior year at another school in Arizona, and now he's spending his senior year at another school in Arizona. Well, the thing is here is that his dad um, has accumulated a lot of means from an NFL lifestyle of 14 seasons, and they moved him to get this, take advantage of the opportunity to play quarterback for John Kitna as a high schooler in Texas. So his freshman year was JV, his sophomore year, which was his best year on the high school level. He spent that year um, with John Kitna. His older sister, Taylor Riola, is also a TCU volleyball player, and they wanted to get her closer to TCU in order for her to make that move to TCU and to track some maybe better recruiting attention. So all of these moves have kind of been calculated. When his older sister moves to TCU, the family moves back to Arizona. That's where Dylan has always made his home. And then after uh, one season with one school in Arizona, he's decided to move to another school in Arizona as well. So I know everybody thinks this is a kid that moves around, but this is a kid that has moved around with the best intentions for his career uh, going forward. And those decisions have been have been basically cultivated by a lot of smart football people in his life. Yeah, no doubt. And his father, Dominic Real, I still remember he was in a runoff for the Outland Trophy in 1999 with Big John Henderson. And don't often see centers that dominant, but known as a very nasty guy. And when you're an offensive lineman, nasty is a very good adjective to have. You want nasty guys. And uh, the guy was a pro. And certainly uh, you got to think that his son has that mental edge. And You know, Jeff, I'm not as bothered by these transfers as maybe some other players that George has had that are no longer with the program. We won't mention named after large uh, carnivores that live in a forest. Because as you said, every move, was made to pick up extra coaching or to better the, the student athlete. And I think when you look at what Georgia has to offer, um, you don't necessarily have to make a move from here. Now, obviously, if it's a competitive playing situation and you don't like where you're at on the depth chart, quarterback a very unique position, and that it's hard to get reps unless you're on the field. But I, I take a look at the background of what Kirby Smart's had. And I guess we start with Jacob Eason, right? And boy, was he looked at and shopped and everybody wanted Jacob Eason. I mean, this guy was hunted. I just did the timeline and I'm like, oh my gosh. Uh, and what a wonderful job Georgia did to get him only for Jacob to get hurt. And then here comes Jake Fromm, who was once committed to Alabama. And then he shifts over to Georgia. We look at Justin Fields, you and I talking before the show. He was a Penn State commitment before he committed to Georgia. Carson Beck was also an Alabama commit before moving to Georgia. Brock Vandergriff started out an Oklahoma commit. Now he's at Georgia. Gunnar Stockton was a South Carolina commit and now at Georgia. And now Dylan Raiola. Now, Jeff, one of the things I noted, the Bulldogs move up to number four in the team rankings. And I know it's only May. And remember back a few years ago when Tennessee was all excited that they had the number one class <laughs> in May? I think it was 20, I don't know, 2018 or 2019. but I guess my point is it doesn't matter a whole lot yet 
But the thing I see with the dogs is four five-star players, and I don't see that on the teams ahead of them. Kind of give me an idea, your feel for where George's at with this 2024 class. I mean, Mike, to your greater point, you can point to Bryce Young. Bryce Young was at one point committed to USC, so kind of happens with the quarterback nature. that The guys move around, the guys commit around. Um, the one thing is I don't think the 24-7 sports uh, team rankings have updated yet because they still have Georgia with 11 commitments and Dylan made 12. I think they're actually, according to my numbers, by using the class calculator that's available to anyone, Georgia's number two in the country right now. And I'm just going to say it. I think Georgia will have its best class of all time. And I think Georgia will, will challenge Texas A&M when they had 18 top 100 prospects uh, for the best, most heralded, highest rated. Let's be clear about this. Highest rated is about all we can measure these things apples to apples the highest rated recruiting class of all time, because I think one of my stories that's going to go up on dognation.com within the hour is I think the Rayola effect is more like, uh, tell me if you like this phrasing, you like, you like this wordplay here, Mike. Some people say it's dominoes. Some people say it's like ripples. What I feel like this commitment will be like is a Jordan Davis cannonball off the high dive at the Ramsey center. <laughs> I think the ripples and the splash made by this Dylan Rayola commitment are going to be fantastic for the program. Boy, I love it. I was just going to ask you to contrast the Raiola recruitment to what you saw with Manning last year. You were hot on the trail of that for a, a little bit. It looked like maybe Georgia would get Manning. You went down to New Orleans. There were some hints dropped that maybe he wanted to play for a championship. Well, that didn't turn out to be the case. He chose to go to Texas instead, and they're a long way from the championship. Um, in fact, yeah. Jeff, I don't think Texas scored an offensive touchdown against TCU at home last year. And gosh, I thought Georgia looked pretty good against that same defense. But to, to the the difference between a Manning and a Riola, how do you contrast those recruitments and the potential impact and readiness of those players? Yeah, so you've got to go. Uh, it's a good it's a good measuring stick. Number one, I think both recruitments will bring implications and implications. I mean, perception. Uh, does Georgia handle this five-star well? Does this guy take a little while to play? Does he sit behind some less heralded players? I think the pressure with Manning was going to be very immense at Georgia where they had to get that one right. And even though Raiola has an NFL pedigree and he's got these connections to Stafford and other folks, I don't think the pressure for him to succeed at Georgia will be as extreme or at least have as short a fuse to look at. Now, just comparing them player for player, the stronger arm I would definitely give to Riola. It's not close. Accuracy, timing, mechanics, it's a lot closer there, I think, because I think that was Manning's great strength. Manning's great strength, I think, in college football, when he gets his year or two of development, I think that's necessary for him, is Manning is just going to be so hard to get on the ground. He's about 6'4", he's about 230, a very big Tebow-type runner, except he's really fast, especially fast for his size. Now, I don't think Raiola is going to give you that much wiggle or that much twitch as Manning does. Because, I mean, the best, the best comparisons we ever made about, about Arch, Arch Manning was that he looked a lot like his grandfather, grandfather Archie or a bigger Johnny Manziel. You know, you look at Dylan Raiola, you love his play-action game. You love his ability to stretch the field. He looks more like a Stafford body, a pocket passer in there. But folks will remember the Auburn game in 2006 is a great example. Stafford, we needed to get some yards with his legs, could go out and get that first down if necessary. I think he's got good movement skills. He's well-trained. He's going to be a big body in there. But I think 
let's face it, Mike, he trains with Pat, Mah- Pat Mahomes. And some of his quarterback trainers, they've worked with the likes of Jalen Hurts. And I think he's got a lot of game, a lot of Pat Mahomes like like likenesses to his game simply because it's, he can drop his arm slot, man. I know you have a background in softball and baseball. And like the thing about uh, Dylan now is it's kind of accepted where you don't have to release the ball here all the time. You can whip it right there. You can whip it right there. And you can show some accuracy like you're a shortstop or you're, you're a baseball player out there. I think Dylan Riola brings all those tools. And I think simply put, Brandon, I mean, Mike, I'm going to say this again. I'm so used to talking to Brandon all the time on these things. But, Mike, I'll say this again. Everybody's going to be concerned about 2024 and what this means for Carson Beck, if he's still around, and Brock Vandegrift, if he's still around, or even Gunnar Stockton, if he's still around. I don't think, and this is more a reflection of where Georgia's program is right now as a juggernaut, I don't think anybody should think about Dylan Riola in the playing equation for 2024. Now, if he is, he's Superman. He's a wonder kid. He is as advertised and a generational quarterback. But he is not expected to lift Georgia on his shoulders and carry him because that will not be necessary with that 2024 team at all. We've got to give a lot of respect to a guy like Brock Vandegrift or a Gunnar Stockton that's been in the program for years and faced Georgia's championship level defense, scout team, practice ones versus two for a couple of years. And I don't care how talented you are, that's going to take quite a ways to make all that up. Yeah, no doubt. So it sounds like a bigger, stronger version of Aaron Murray. I think of a guy Ooh. that could spray it around maybe Aaron was a little smaller it sounds like Dylan maybe a little bit more of a a prototypical size and and certainly an NFL arm talent from everything we've gathered now the impact of this on the front end is obviously a lot of fanfare a lot of national media kind of starting to realize that you know this Kirby Smart Georgia program is not going away anytime soon but If we look deeper, if we look into the rest of late spring and summer, what is the implication of this addition for Georgia football? You know, I liked how uh, I liked how we were doing our breaking news show. I don't know how many of you guys caught it earlier today. A lot of people have to work. But I would say Mr. Adams had a funny comment. So inside of one of Brandon's backhanded, I'm going to be funny. I'm going to be a little snarky comments. There's a kernel of truth. And the kernel of truth that Brandon had today was you know what, we might just look back on 21 and 22 as the lean years for Georgia football. Because I think if you add what Georgia's brought to the table defensively, and then you throw a a C.J. Stroud, a Bryce Young, a top 10 quarterback talent who's going to touch the ball every play, the main thing for Dylan Raiola, and this is the answer to your question, is he doesn't have to throw for 50 touchdowns his first two seasons at Georgia. What he's going to do in the next three or four months is he's going to get offensive tackles. He's going to get tight ends. He's going to get top running backs. Mike, I think the addition, the public addition of Dylan Raiola to the Georgia class now has Georgia in the shooting match for three five-star receivers, maybe even four five-star receivers. And they're not going to get all four of those guys. They might get one or two. But the fact that Georgia is now a major entity with the nation's number one receiver who's currently committed to Ohio State, the nation's number three receiver who is a terrific player of the state of Texas and Micah Hudson, the number four wide receiver in the country, Ryan Wingo out of St. Louis, who has taken multiple unofficial visits with Dylan Riola to Georgia and Nebraska already. Those two guys are almost tethered. And maybe the biggest one, the short-term memory folks out there will appreciate this. I'm looking for Dylan Riola to be in Athens this weekend on an unofficial visit for the scavenger hunt 
when Jeremiah Smith is going to be there, when the nation's number four tight end, Jaden Riddell out of Missouri is going to be there. There's going to be a chance to put in some very strong seeds for maybe a potential flip from Jeremiah Smith down the road, or at the very least to get Georgia in tighter with a lot of key prospects. Certainly a Pied Piper effect and validates Mike Bobo as a quarterback's coach. I'll be writing about that tomorrow. We had our plan drawn up and certainly the Mike Bobo effect, uh, you know, a very real here. This is something that Dylan Rayola obviously evaluated, talked to former players that have played for Mike Bobo and really, I think, uh, a shot in the arm and some confidence in Mike Bobo and the future of the Georgia offense. One more question, Jeff, and I know that you may be on Dog Nation Daily with Brandon Adams tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. in addition to your show on Wednesday night. But when we look at the Georgia class, and yes, I'm hearing what you're saying about receivers, and certainly they've checked the box at quarterback. What are some other positions that we're going to see Georgia pursue in this recruiting season, this signing class of 2024? Well, Brent, I mean, Mike, this is a great example here because it brings synergy to my coverage and your coverage. So, Mike, what we see here is, You've been writing about him. What happened to Sean Washington? What happened to Bear Alexander? Those guys were two core defensive line commitments in the 2022 class. And really, if you're if you're a major player in the 2022 class, this is the year where you were going to play a lot of ball for Georgia. Georgia only took three defensive linemen commitments in that class. Two of those guys are already gone. I'm a big fan of what Christian Miller can bring to the table, another All-American defensive lineman. And then you've got Georgia adding Big Baby Hall, and you've got Georgia adding um, Jamal Jarrett in the 2023 class. That leaves, Mike, only like four names that – because I expect guys like Tyrion Mingo Dawkins, Zion Logue, Warren Brinson, Nazir Stackhouse, Jamel Walthor. I expect at least four or five names off that defensive line room to go to the NFL after this year. So that means the D-line room is going to be key. That means Trey Scott, who's got a great resume for doing these sort of things, is going to have to have another bang-up job this year on the recruiting trail with not bringing in starters. Like, you can't expect everybody to start like Jordan Davis was starting by week six of his freshman year at Georgia or the way Michael Williams flashed his freshman year at Georgia. But you want to see him get guys that are about a year away, and those guys can provide quality depth the way that Brinson and Stackhouse and Logue and those guys have been doing for the past couple of seasons at Georgia. D-line recruiting is going to be major. I think offensive line recruiting has to be major because there's another thing right there, Mike, where you see four guys, five names maybe off that offensive line that should move on to the NFL draft and go shake Roger Goodell's hand or get drafted really highly. So this is a year where Georgia has to focus on rebuilding the trenches. It's not that the starters for 2024 are going to be deficient. That's not the case at all. It is the backups to the frontline players in 2024 that are going to have to be found in this 2024 recruiting class. They're going to have the most amazing secondary they've ever signed under Kirby Smart this year. All those pieces are coming together when they got the greatest linebacker crew they ever got a year previously. That's the major heavy lifting I see for the 2024 class. Yeah, certainly Trey Scott, now a million-dollar defensive line coach. Kirby Smart is going to want $1 million results. So some pressure on Trey Scott to come up big in this recruiting class. But Mike Bobo... I think he's already earned his check on the trail. Landon, Dylan, Raiola, Jeff, can't thank you enough for joining me. Look forward to seeing you later this week, as well as our daily calls. If only they were on live video. Can you imagine the response? Wouldn't that be fun? Not. Let's take a moment now, recognize our sponsor, Ingles. When I come back, I'm going to dive into that 2024 season and how things look. 
Also going to talk a little bit about Georgia baseball and Georgia softball as they begin their postseason this week. Did you know that Ingalls sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have... ...profile offense. And that offense requires these quarterbacks to do so much. I like to call it flying the jet, right? You're not just going to the line of scrimmage and looking to the sideline and having the coach tell you where you're going to throw it. You're going to the line of scrimmage and you're setting the protection or adjusting the protection based on what you see. You're moving the receivers. Coverage. So, so much goes into it. And you got to do all this within 15 seconds of walking up to the line. You have to diagnose all these things. Typically, there's two or three plays called. You got to get the team in the right play. There is a lot to do. And as we saw with Gunnar Stockton, who is a really strong prospect, you saw him struggle a little bit with that in the GDA game. You saw him take a delay a game. I believe it was at the two-yard line, and, and it led to a sack, and then it led to an incompletion. And it was just like, it was all thrown off by the most minor thing, a one delay a game penalty. There's that much on these guys, and it takes time. It's not three-dimensional chess. It's four-dimensional chess. And it's not even a matter of your football IQ. It's a matter of your timing and just repetition. You just have to get enough reps. When I look at 2024, when I look into my crystal ball, I don't think Chris Carson Beck is here one way or the other. Because if Carson Beck wins the job, as many project he will, then I think he'll have a fantastic season, and I think he'll go to the NFL, and he'll be drafted in the first two rounds if the upside of Carson Beck enables him to win the job. If Brock Vandergriff at some point passes Carson Beck this year, and we don't need to get into all those scenarios right now, but we do know that Brock has mobility, uh, then I wouldn't expect Carson to come back if he falls behind Brock Vandergriff on the depth chart, whether that means going pro or whether that would mean transferring somewhere else for another year. So one way or another, I don't see Carson Beck coming back to Georgia in 2024. I suppose it's possible that he starts and decides to come back for another year. But I think if he starts, he's going to have a fantastic year if he holds the job. So, so the, the room looks like this to me in 2024 and that's Brock Vandegrift and Gunnar Stockton and, and Dylan Raiola. So if we really want to look to me, like who's under pressure, to me, it looks like Gunnar Stockton, because by then Brock Vandergriff will be a fourth year guy and he'll have probably played some this year. I do expect Kirby to play Vandergriff and Beck going into this season. When you look at the schedule, it kind of lends itself for that sort of quarterback development. Maybe Gunnar will even get some reps if he's able to manage the offense a little bit more effectively uh, with a little bit more fluidity than he did in the spring game. So th that's what I'm looking at. I think Vandergriff right now, if I had to put chips in on a guy, I'd say Vandergriff's your starter in 2024. Maybe Stockton's challenging. But then the real question becomes, does Stockton stick around if Rayola passes him or is even to him in 2024, it just makes your head, you want to explode, right? Because wait, we don't even know about 2023. There's still a chance Gunnar Stockton could end up starting some games this season, but you play the what if game, you play the projections. The good news is 
it's nothing that anybody needs to worry about or stress about right now. I'm sure Gunnar Stockton's not stressing out right now. I know Brock Vandergriff's not. This was anticipated. This was expected. And furthermore, this is what you sign up for at Georgia. You're not going to come to Georgia and say, hey, don't sign anybody good behind me. Look, every year Kirby Smart is signing guys to beat out the guys ahead of him. You have to understand that's part of what Georgia football is. And that's why we say it's not for everybody. Georgia football is not for everybody. Not every player can handle the pressure of competing for their job every single day. I mean, you don't take a day off. You take a day off, you slide down the depth chart. You know, that's why these practices are, are just so insane. And we heard Dominic Lovett talk about that. I had a story today on dognation.com about this explosive receiver from Missouri, and he's going to do some amazing things. And I watched him in the G-Day, and I saw how quick his feet were. And I watched him in some of those practices and workouts, and you could just tell he was a half a step ahead of the receivers that we've seen there before. And then when I heard him speak and he talked about the toughness and embracing the Georgia practices, I said, oh man, no wonder this is Kirby's kind of guy, right? And, and Kirby now has that luxury. Georgia has the luxury of picking their kind of guy. You know, you've heard Jeff before, you've read him with his Centel and Tell columns, talk about some players that have turned down NIL money, recognizing that the long-term money is at the University of Georgia once you get drafted into the NFL, something that Kirby Smart is doing better than any and any other coach in college football. They've had 45, excuse me, 44 players drafted over the past three seasons. It's really amazing. And then you look at the job Kirby's doing on the field. I mean, here's a guy that's 17 and seven against top 10 competition. You know, Kirby, when he's had more than a week to prepare, he's won 17 games in a row. When Georgia has more than one week to prepare, he has won 17 straight. That dates all the way back to that Sugar Bowl against Texas when you had a downtrodden Georgia team that was disappointed they were cheated by the college football playoff committee, the Oklahoma AD, the Georgia Tech AD, and the Florida AD, three of those 13 members that year. I'll never forget that, and you shouldn't either. I guarantee you Kirby Smart won't either. So that was then. This is now. And as Jeff said, you know, I don't know about the 21 and 22 being the lean years. I've got two of my four Georgia Mount Rushmore faces off the 21 and 22 teams. I'm putting Jordan Davis, the Outland Trophy winner. He's on that wall because if Jordan Davis doesn't come back for his senior year, there is no 2021 championship, right? And I like what he embodied. He bought into Kirby Smart in the toughness training. And because Jordan was bought in, Everybody was bought in. And I don't know how you could have a Mount Rushmore without Brock Bowers. I just call him the statue because that to me is the guy. When I look at Brock Bowers, I know that every game plan starts with that number 19 circle. He is fantastic. Now you bring in a guy like Areola, or perhaps we see what Vandergriff can do with his feet. And now you may be getting into more playmaking types of quarterbacks at Georgia. That's not to say that Georgia doesn't still want and need to have an outstanding supporting cast, you know, with, you know, a dominant offensive line play like we see right now, or like guys like Brock Bowers or, or Lovett or Lad McConkey um, or Kendall Milton and the things that he might do, but having a playmaking quarterback 
it can be a game changer, particularly if that quarterback is disciplined. I know Jeff said that Rayola has that big arm and he can force it into windows. I think Kirby just assume he doesn't force anything. You know, take your shots when they're there, but when they're not there, I don't think Kirby's going to want folks uh, throwing the ball into traffic. So I want to start with Georgia baseball uh, as we wrap up tonight's show, our Ingles on the Beach show. I really appreciate y'all joining us and certainly appreciate Jeff Santel, our guest, the first half of the show. Look, it was a tough series at Missouri. The dogs dropped three in a row. They really needed to take two out of three, and they really would have been in good position for an NCAA tournament berth. As it stands, They've got number two LSU. Maybe they dropped in the poll. I didn't see they were two going into last weekend, but they got LSU coming in. I call them the New York Yankees of college baseball. A lot of tradition, a lot of championships down there at LSU, but LSU is coming to Foley Field for a weekend set, and it's going to be big. It starts Thursday night at 6 p.m., and then there's a Friday game at 6 p.m. and a Saturday game at 1 p.m. Georgia may need to sweep that series to play themselves into the NCAA tournament. They lost a couple games in walk-off fashion. Scott Strickland told us right here on the show last week that Missouri was a tough place to play with the wind blowing out, and Missouri had scored 38 runs on Ole Miss the previous weekend, so that was a hot-hitting team, and it seemed like if it could go wrong against, against Georgia that it did, and that sweep has a lot of people on edge. I'll just remind you that Scott Strickland and Georgia baseball is not on a level playing field. They do not have the same... Uh, I guess, uh, opportunities to offer out-of-state players uh, the ability to waive the scholarship as other programs in the, in the SEC. I, I don't think Georgia's doing everything they can for the Georgia baseball team. Now, there is the Hope Scholarship, which helps you with in-state players, but you've got to be able to recruit out-of-state to be successful in the SEC, and that's all sports. And right now, those facilities really cripple Georgia uh, they really pale by comparison. They don't have the pitching lab. They don't have the batting cages for these players to improve themselves. We hear so much about how important the $80 million building was for football and the commitment that that shows. Well, it's just the opposite for baseball. And Scott Strickland has been fighting an uphill battle in that area. It'll be interesting to see if or when anything happens with Strickland and or his staff after the season. I don't expect it to. All my conversations with Josh Brooks throughout the season uh, have been that, that uh, the athletic director supports Scott Strickland. Um, as for some adjustments that Scott may, may need to make, I don't think that that's been determined yet. I think the season needs to play out. And so we're going to have an opportunity to watch Georgia play against Western Carolina tomorrow night at 6 p.m., a midweek game, and then the all-important three-game series with LSU this weekend. Georgia softball a team that had their best regular season since 2009. I know you, a lot of you watch them on the SEC Network. Their season, they kind of faded, right? They dropped two out of three at LSU in their final series, and, and then they lost to South Carolina in the SEC tournament. Only one run in these last three games. This is a team that led the SEC in home runs and batting average and scoring uh, throughout the year. So you got to believe that, that they're going to try to get that fixed this week. Uh, they're going to host a regional They'll be heavily favored uh, in this region. I believe they play. Um, I know Boston University is one of the teams in the in their regional. I know Virginia Tech is another one of their teams in the regional. I, I think that they play a, a North Carolina Central, if I'm not mistaken, Friday. Should be uh, 
it should be a, an opportunity for Georgia to advance to the super regionals, and they would likely face Florida State in Tallahassee, uh, needing to win a best of three to go back to the Women's College World Series. This is a team that's plenty capable. Uh, this is a team that can get on a run, and I do expect big things from Georgia softball. I guess to finish the show up, since the last show, there's been some news, some movement, if you will, on the Georgia-Florida game, uh, the site of it. And to let you know where it's at on, what, May 16th? Is that today, tomorrow? Gosh, it's somewhere around here. Tomorrow, there will be a new Jacksonville mayor. There is election taking place in Jacksonville. And once that election is finished, uh, Josh Brooks and Scott Strickland, the Florida athletic director, uh, they'll have a meeting of the minds and they'll talk with this new Jacksonville mayor sometime between tomorrow and June 30th. And they'll determine where the 2024-2025 games are played. This year, of course, in Jacksonville, it's Florida's designated home game. There's been some talk that maybe the game could go home and home as early as next year. Kirby Smart going on national television, lobbying, arguing vehemently with Tim Tebow may have fallen on deaf ears in his administration. We will soon find out where 2024 and 2025 games will be. That is the option, the fifth and sixth year of the option of the most recent contract. Now, 26-27, this is where it could get interesting because according to the outgoing Jacksonville mayor, TIA Bank Field, where the Jaguars play, will be under renovation. And that could open the door for Georgia and Florida to play a home and home in 2026 and 2027. Now, the outgoing Jacksonville mayor says, and after that, it'll be in Jacksonville. But there's been nothing signed. There's no contract to that effect. And, you know, I think this is something that Kirby Smart will continue to discuss behind closed doors. Kirby's not one to belabor a point or to certainly challenge his administration publicly. Uh, Kirby, a guy that controls what he can control. You've heard that. He stays very focused on that uh, to the extent that he you know, turned down the invitation to the White House. They wanted to go and in June they were invited. And you just heard Jeff say what an incredibly busy month that is. And look, you don't win back-to-back -back championships by taking days off. So that was nothing political. That was Kirby Smart being driven and focused. And maybe if the invite had come out back in January, things might have been different. Or who knows, maybe the, the president and the vice president should have come to Georgia's championship celebration when Kirby was having, uh, had, they had um, put some time aside to have that when they could have everyone there. So some parting thoughts there. I, we'll see what happens a little too soon. I know the Georgia spring meetings will be coming up. Uh, I'll be there. I'll have an opportunity to talk to President Moorhead and Josh Brooks. We'll kind of get a little preview, maybe where Georgia stands with the new schedule model. That's something that's going to be discussed later this month. At the SEC spring meetings in Destin, I'll be there as well, um, have an opportunity to probably do the show from Destin this year uh, on that Monday night, maybe, or, or preview that week ahead, because there will be a lot of items that the Southeastern Conference presidents, athletic directors, and coaches will be discussing. So uh, until then, you know, obviously keep your eyes on the recruiting trail. Jeff kind of dropping some hints. More commitments could be coming. Big weekend coming up. Georgia baseball is going to be playing at home against LSU. Probably needs to sweep. And then obviously they play in the SEC baseball tournament after that. Georgia softball looking to make another women's college world series run. And Josh Books and President Moorhead 
positioning Georgia for the SEC spring meetings at the end of the month. Again, really appreciate you joining me tomorrow right here, Dog Nation Daily with Brandon Adams, 10 a.m. Wednesday night, it's Centel's Intel. And I'll be on Brandon's show earlier on Wednesday on Dog Nation Daily. So everyone, have a great week. Thanks for joining me.